and welcome to Under an Open Heaven Podcast. We are glad you are joining us as we explore the reality of God's love expressed in Scripture and our own personal experiences. Thanks for joining us today as we explore the reality that we live under an open heaven. Enjoy! Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Psalm 85, and as always, I am Colton Jones, and I'm joined here by Arthur Richardson. All right. Uh, The title of this psalm is Prayer for Divine Favor. Uh, So here's how it goes. You once favored, Lord, your land, restored the captives of Jacob. You forgave the guilt of your people, pardoned all their sins. You withdrew all your wrath, turned back from your burning anger. Restore us, God of our salvation. Let go of your displeasure with us. Will you be angry with us forever, prolonged in your anger for all generations? Certainly you will again restore our life, that your people may rejoice in you. Show us, Lord, your mercy. Grant us your salvation. I will listen for what God the Lord has to say. Surely he will speak of peace to his people and to his faithful. May they not turn to foolishness. Near indeed is his salvation for those who fear him. Glory will dwell in our land. Love and truth will meet. Justice and peace will kiss. Truth will spring from the earth. Justice will look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will grant his bounty. Our land will yield its produce. Justice will march before him and make a way for his footsteps. All right, Arthur, did anything jump out to you while I was reading that? Actually, quite a bit. The two main themes for me that were jumping out were uh, this sense of restoration, but also the merging of justice and love and peace and truth. And that being like the the produce, if you will, of heaven. So those those main themes were kind of like hitting me over the head. Yeah, a really gentle but like strong way of um, like the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? If that's the case, then these produces, if you will, these things need to be in my heart. If the kingdom of heaven is a hand, it should be a hand in my heart. And if it's in a hand in my heart, these things should be flowing from me. Yeah. So just kind of like a, once again, a quick check of like, do I feel that justice and peace are kissing in my life right now? Do I feel that love and truth are meeting? That's, that's kind of a word that's like really hitting me right now is that love and truth will meet. I think there's that temptation to go either way of just love without the truth or Mm -hmm. just truth without the love. So for me, I think that's that bit is hitting me the hardest right now. Mm -hmm. Now that you mention it, that that bit about love and truth is also kind of relevant in my life. I'm a part of this. uh, Have you heard of Myers-Briggs personalities? Yeah. Stuff like that. Like they just use uh, like eight different letters to signify like what side of uh, each four spectrums you might fall in and stuff like that well this is a there was a facebook page for nfs so if you if you're familiar with myers-briggs i think you'll know what that means uh so i'm an enfj that's my myers-briggs type and someone posted on the page for just, those of us who may not be as familiar as others could you just go through and just d- describe what that those letters signify. So, uh, the first letter signifies whether you're introverted or extroverted, which doesn't necessarily mean that you're like always like bubbly and outgoing and stuff like that. It's just like how you get your energy, your energy from. Do you do you feel more uh, energized when you're on your own or when you're around other people? I feel more energized when I'm around other people, so I'm extroverted. The second is intuitive. 
I think it's more or less how we uh, perceive any information, things like that. So it's intuitive instead of sensing. So if someone has a sensing bit, a sensing personality means that they uh, obtain information through their senses primarily rather than through impressions. I don't know. It, if you were to look up these, it probably explains it quite a bit better because I don't think I could do uh, it justice. Anyway, uh, F is kind of how you process that information. So I'm a feeler. Some people are thinkers. Mm-hmm. So I'm an ENFJ. So I feel pre- more than uh, I think, or at least my initial reaction to something is to f- uh, form feelings about it or impressions in the form of feelings, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of surprising. A lot of my family thinks I'm more of a thinker, which I, I do. I do. Uh, you think, think philosophy, but I do you still, lot. you still, um, you still feel things, which yes. I appreciate that a lot about I, you. I appreciate it myself. Like, <laughs> I, I, I come into contact with some very serious thinkers and I'm like, oof, like, I don't know if I could bring myself to, to like, enter that that sort of mind space if, yeah I know and, what you mean. Uh, j j okay so the last letter is either p or j and i can't really explain or that's okay so anyway continue talking about your facebook group <laughs> weird tangent oh it's not weird it's really really weird tangent but um oh and if you want to figure out what personality type you are there's this website that actually it's like a, a series of questions you can answer and it's not like either yes or no. It's actually on a spectrum of like your agreement. Either you completely yeah. disagree or totally disagree. It's called 16personalities.com. I have s- all 16. I'm kidding. You have all 16. That's a I'm problem. Kidding. I am kidding. I am kidding. Uh, I forget what I, I just remember being called a campaigner, but anyway. Oh, okay. Uh, I can't remember which one that is, but I, I forget what it is as well. Continue. Okay. Um, so on this Facebook page for NF personalities, someone asked the question, in, in situations, are you are, are you more likely to tend towards peace or towards truth? And I was like, listen, I was looking at that. I'm like, I feel like this is maybe not phrased the best. I felt that way when I was answering the questions as well. Like for a lot of the questions, I felt pretty divided. No, no, this wasn't on the personality test. This is on the face. This Facebook page. Oh, the just Facebook. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. they, they okay. wanted to get like a poll of uh, like if you were. And I'm sure that there's probably a similar question on the test because I feel That's, like I remember something. I, like I remember that. there being interesting questions that yeah. I felt really divided through most of them. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are a little bit tougher and require more thought. But um, I don't know. So if you were people, people often say like you can either have mercy or you can have justice. Like the where those two things intersect is often pe- people don't see those two things as coexisting in right. the same line of logic. Uh, they see them as mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like love and truth. Like people tend to default if they're faced, if, if for instance, if someone you know, your friend and uh, they're your friend and they're someone you love and they're believing something false or they're, maybe their way that their life is. It's just not really in accord with what is actually good. Yeah. Or your belief about what they're doing doesn't really line up with uh, their actions and things like that. Uh, you can either take what is believed to be the route of love and l- let live sort of a thing, or you can take the route of truth and let them know, or at least speak to them about it. And a lot of people would maybe take the route of love and just 
ignore it. Right. It turns more into an ignoring thing than uh, addressing thing, which is super interesting because because most people see this and operate this way, it is actually very difficult if we're not surrounding ourselves with scripture and in particular Jesus and how he interacts. It is very easy to go either one way, at least for me. And I, I, I would say that that knife's edge is, is a struggle for me, which is why it stuck out to me. Yeah. I, I think that this is a, like, there's like a false dichotomy mm-hmm. that it's either this or that. Yep. Whereas the, either approach could be, you can have an approach that is both. If yep. you approach someone lovingly and acceptingly while also sharing truth with them in their life. Right. Uh, Pope Francis, I think, calls it accompaniment. Yeah, accompaniment. Yeah, accompanying the person throughout their life. And in word and indeed, just like revealing the goodness. But anyway, continue. So that's kind of what jumped out to me because going back to the device, the divisiveness of everything in terms of morality, popular culture's morality or uh, take on morality is not always in line with the churches. And right. I like to align myself with the church because it's 2000 years old. It's been around the block uh, and it's has it has very good reasons for believing what it does about morality and moral yep. issues. So. How do I live in a society, in a world where what I believe about morality isn't what they believe about morality without ostracizing myself or other people? And then justifying yourself because we are called to be holy and set apart. So that's that's like a, a very interesting, yeah, very interesting way of life. Sorry, I, I cut you off. Again. No, no, that's that's just uh, why it has some some relevance to me. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that those are just my initial impressions and thoughts about it i also the idea of restoration mm-hmm. is what comes up to me because israel is always in a constant cycle of destruction and restoration yeah like, how do these people not get driven insane i think it's primarily because they have a like a their memory is like the memory of a goldfish when it comes to some things but in all honesty though like at least for me like I, I've studied like salvation history and class and all the everything else, just like in reading scripture. And I used to stand back and be like, wow, these, this history is ridiculous. Like it is a constant cycle of like, God, we love you. Oh, Hey, a pagan God that can give me the thing I want. Um, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go, uh, sacrifice my children and see if I can change the, this desert into uh, springtime. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go do that. That sounds like fun to me. Besides my kid is kind of annoying me. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I make out that <laughs> for those of you wondering, he's referencing Baal. Baal. Yeah. So there's like, there were pagan gods that demanded sacrifice, human sacrifice and other sacrifice. That was pretty common for pagan cultures, um, was human sacrifice and other uh, sinful acts. But anyway, they go through this, this period where like this other nation influences them, uh, makes them turn their heads away from God and, and his love. And then they start sinning. They start cheating each other. They start, um, blaspheming and practicing infidelity with their love towards God. And then God says, all right, if you're going to act like this, I'm going to leave you to your own demise. And soon enough, because admittedly that like kind of how it goes, that group of people pisses off another group of people. And then that group of people that's been pissed off attacks. Yeah. So it's a cycle of God, we love you to like being influenced by the other culture, pissing that culture off and then like being attacked by them and then uh, crying out for forgiveness. And then once again, being like 
God, we love you. And then the yeah. cycle happens again, like within three generations. But actually, when I was going through like scriptural theology, that's called the cycle of Baal. Yeah. At least that's how I learned it. Um, Basically. Yeah. But it even happens with the Greek gods too when they invade the Roman gods. You know, it's, it's a thing. Um, yeah. But I used to stand back and say like, this is ridiculous. Like, how could you be that forgetful? And then I look at my own life as I'm getting older. I'm like, I'm seeing some patterns that are kind I of similar. <laughs> I am this. This is why it's so irritating to me because like, I don't like this in myself. Um, I'm so forgetful. I have the memory of a goldfish <laughs> when it comes to God's love and favor. Um, yeah. So just like this constant need for restoration and mm-hmm. like, whoa, God, like, please, I need your, I need your saving help again. Yeah. And there are little cycles of restoration inside larger cycles of yep. restoration. Like, for instance, this is just a small one. This is just in a psalm, whereas yeah. you have big cycles of restoration. Like the the, the Jews going into exile in Babylon yep. for a long time, then being released and stuff like that and coming back yeah. to God and then setting up the temple and all that stuff. But this is just a little, little cycle. It, I don't know what I would call it other than that. But it's just a reminder for the uh, the psalmist that God is still with us. Yeah. Uh, it says, and he's already willing, the psalmist is already willing to come back and listen to God. It says, I will listen for what God the Lord has to say. Uh, and that's, that's a, a powerful statement. And that's an important statement. Yeah. I know we like to think, we like to listen to ourselves more often than God. Yeah. We tend to be pretty loud to ourselves at least. Mm-hmm. But uh, the next part, it's he has hope in what God has to say. Surely he will speak of peace to his people and to his faithful. May they not turn to foolishness. So uh, the hope is that God will speak of peace to his people. Which does happen. If we look at the first thing that Jesus says to his apostles when he is resurrected, peace, peace be with you. Mm -hmm. Then there's this hope of... um, it says love and truth will meet justice and peace will kiss. So this is the hope of what God's restoration look like, yeah. looks like. And I know in my life, I've witnessed God's restoration, sometimes personally and sometimes vicariously. Like mm-hmm. one instance I can think of is uh, through my dad. He always prayed this prayer in the uh, book of Zephaniah. This is in Zephaniah chapter three. This is at the very end of it. This is actually the prayer that that this is, is something that my dad had me read at his wedding. So my dad, prior to getting married uh, last year, was single for quite a long time. And he waited patiently because he he was considering uh, possibly looking to the diaconate and things like that. But if you're made a deacon and you're not married, you you aren't really allowed to get married as a deacon. Correct. But so he was considering a lot of these options over, you know, this long period of time that he was single and kind of waited patiently. And he prayed this prayer as he was praying, waiting for the restoration of Israel. So um, here's just a little bit, a little bit of it. Shout for joy, daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You have no further misfortune to fear. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty Savior, who will rejoice over you in gladness and renew you in his love, who will sing joyfully because of you as on festival days. I will remove disaster from among you, so that no one may recount your disgrace. 
At that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will save the lame and assemble the outcasts. I will give them praise and renown in every land where they are where they were shamed. At that time, I will bring you home. And at that time, I will gather you, for I will give you renown and praise among the peoples of the earth. When I bring about your restoration before your very eyes, says the Lord. So my dad uh, prayed this sort of every day. I don't know when he started praying it, but he definitely prayed it every day for several years mm-hmm. prior to meeting the person who is currently my stepmother. Literally could not imagine my dad marrying or anyone being really worthy to marry my dad other than the person who is married to him now. So uh, kind of being alongside him, seeing uh, the struggles that he went through, not just financially, but emotionally too. And then witnessing God's restoration in his life, that prayer that he prayed faithfully uh, being answered. That is something that gives me hope, being able to witness to that. Yeah. So do you have in your mind, in your life, Arthur, do you have any moments that you think uh, or remember where God restored you yeah um i think i mentioned this before but it was just in passing um like on the podcast but back when i was a missionary in wisconsin i started coming down with this like mystery disease the doctors thought it was lyme's disease by the symptoms but tests came back negative that i had lyme's essentially like my whole body just hurt and i mentioned i think it was last week yeah yeah i mean like two years where i felt my body like degrade i felt like an old man um like i moved like an old man i really struggled with uh losing that it was was really interesting like i've been prayed over quite a few times i actually had like during this time period i had a near-death experience where like Mm -hmm. it was like starting to become out of body experience like i was actually in the chapel and in the the base for wisconsin but like i felt myself get so weak to the point that i could not move and i like as i was feeling that happen i kind of crawled underneath the tabernacle mm-hmm. <laughs> um and how this it's like a super cozy chapel so it's like the tabernacle is like kind of right next to where the the chairs are so i kind of crawled right over there and like i started feeling myself like slipping away and uh like i had some missionary friends who found me before too long and they kind of dragged me to a different room and started praying over me and i kind of felt myself like coming back a little bit it was it was one of the strangest experiences i've ever had yeah (laughs) anyway like a while later once again like i mean my body hurt everywhere but uh when the seminarians were praying over me before i had my healing uh like they put their hands where it hurt the most like the parts along my back that hurt the most the foot that hurt the most that day. Anyway, they started praying and the person who was leading it was just like praying the resurrection, like the power of the resurrection heal you, the power of the resurrection heal you. Mm-hmm. And like, it kind of clicked as I was being healed that like I was being led to the cross, but Jesus wasn't done with me there. You know, he was restoring me. And like I got, basically I got my, my, heal, my body back and it was taking me a little while to get like back up to like, ath- maybe not athletic, but like, physically fit again mm-hmm. um just more due to time than anything else but yeah i mean i experienced a full restoration within that day but bo- not just like to be clear i felt a restoration in the body but also within the mind i felt my perspective on god had begun to change that he wasn't just the god of those who are broken but also the god who leads the broken to wholeness mm-hmm. and it took two years for me and i know of other people who have it's been longer but restoration will always come, even if it's after death. You know, like, like you know, that clicked for me, you know, on an experiential level, not just a theological level. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's my that's my major restoration story. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, um, I think it's something that I need to hear too because I, I feel like I go through those same cycles that Israel went through. Mm-hmm. Time of destruction when it seems like everything's taken away. Then there's like destruction, then lamentation, mm-hmm. then um, this sort of period of exile, which I guess coincides with lamentation. Then often, well, at least in Israel, like God would send a prophet and then they would kill the prophet. Yep. <laughs> and then they would realize, oh, we shouldn't have done that, maybe. Then that's when the restorations, uh, restoration would start. Yeah, because things would, would get a little bit worse. The prophet would yeah. come. Convict the people. The people would get upset. They would kill, kill them. them. And then the, they would the, remor- have remorse. Then yeah. Repent. Yeah. Well, the remorse came because the other nations invaded and just. Oh, yeah. Was that, yeah. yeah. That was, it was less to do with the fact that they killed the prophet, but more to do with the fact that they got caught mm-hmm. and got in trouble. That was, that was kind of the big thing. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't really have an analog for killing a prophet in my life. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, maybe that's, Referencing our conscience, the Ooh, yeah. what uh, Saint John Henry Newman calls the Aboriginal Vicar of Christ. So it's something that everybody has, but uh, the degree to which it, you listen to it is also the degree to which it speaks. So right, and um, you can also kill it. Yeah, yeah, you can silence that that voice, mm-hmm. um, which you don't want to happen. No. So I think recognizing those little moments of restoration in our lives, we can make it a little bit easier on us if we recognize our own foolishness. Right. Um, and the ways that we make it a little bit more difficult for God to work in our lives. Right. So. Yeah. And I think yeah. just to pull that out a little bit more, it talks about restoration before it talks about love and truth mm-hmm. meeting and uh, justice and peace kissing. Mm-hmm. So there's something to keep in mind that we need to like, we, <laughs> you can't restore yourself. Right. Like you just can't. I mean, you can try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but that doesn't really work. Like that—that's not real restoration. So what I was talking about in my own witness, and what you what you were talking about with your dad, is that God stepped in and did something that we couldn't. God stepped in and healed me. God stepped in and guided your dad emotionally, financially, and eventually to your stepmom. Mm-hmm. And that was a part of the journey. That was a part of the restoration process. And I don't, I can't speak for your dad, but at least for me, I'm sure you you can say this, that in my heart and in my mind, I have, I have a better grip on love and truth meeting and justice and peace kissing. It doesn't seem polarized to me. It like, I can operate in such a way where I can call myself out and understand where I've made mistakes. The Lord has begun to really work in me and show how love and truth meet in my life and and with other people. He's taught me how to accompany others who need someone who is firm and loving, right? These things are not polar, but the difference is, is that like I am one not trying to prove that my way is better because I live in the assurance of God's love. I'm not trying to prove myself right. I'm just resting in, in God's love and God's truth. That in of itself is convincing. I mean, the greatest, the greatest evangelization is a person who has seen the eyes of God and fallen in love. You know, like in order to get somebody just to follow a set of laws is not gonna, it's not gonna work great. But but the true conviction is gonna come with the kindness of someone who is able to love the just and the unjust. 
like God. I mean, Jesus spoke of God's love as shining on the wicked and and the just. The same, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, no longer are you to hate those who hate you, mm-hmm. but you are to love your enemy. Yeah. So, like, there's there's something greater here that we are called to. That happens when we are restored to bring a full circle. I think this is the, like the true cycle is that when, once we are truly restored, our hearts are free to have peace and justice and love and truth all residing in one and justice and mercy residing as one in our hearts. Mm-hmm. So before we end our podcast, we want to invite you to follow us on social media. Uh, we are on Instagram and Facebook. We're just under under an open heaven. And our the email that we have is under an open heaven.fire at gmail.com. So you can also look us up that way. Or send us a question or comment. Because we would love to hear from you. We would love uh, for you to be a part of this. So yeah, you should uh, check us out on social media. All right. Your challenge for this week. I want you to consider where you're at in your relationship with God in terms of uh, his restoration in your life. Are you at a point where you recognize that he has restored you in that place where justice and peace kiss, where love and truth meet? Or are you in a place where you might be feeling a little bit distanced from God, maybe disillusioned? Consider then reading Zephaniah 3 verses 14 through 20. Uh, and consider what that is to you in your life and ask God to bring about that restoration or if you're in that place of resting in that peace uh, ask God to continue to be with you and to keep you from falling back into that that, that trap of foolishness so in all things Christ is Lord Amen Amen I hope you guys have a wonderful week and we'll be happy to have you with us next week. God bless.